Welcome to the media ministry of Crossroads Church Aspen. To learn more about Crossroads, visit our website at ccaspen.com. We hope you enjoyed this message by Pastor Steve Woodrow. Good morning, everyone. How's everybody doing? Making it behind the behind the mask. <laughs> but um, well, thanks. Good to see you. It's good, as the scripture says, face to face. Right is what we long for. It's what we're built for. It's a little challenging times right now, but welcome to those of you uh, online. This time, just really trying to drill in to understand and fortify and build up this idea of hope. Um, and what is the foundation of our hope? And just kind of going through the scriptures, looking at um, some of the end times things, but just some of the things that we should be focusing on um, when it comes to understanding hope. And this morning, I want to dive in on this idea that Jesus' hope for the world is a vibrant church. Jesus' hope for the world is a vibrant church. We're going to be in Matthew 16. This morning, verses 13 through 28, if you want to find your way there, we always encourage everybody to get back to paper when it comes to the Bible for a lot of reasons. We need less distraction, more focused um, thinking, all right, on the Word of God. So we're going to be in Matthew 16, and in there, Jesus says that I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. Folks, there's one thing that God is primary building in the world from the very beginning to the very end, and it's His church. His ecclesia, his gathered family. That is on God's heart. From the very beginning, he wants to share all creation with his family, and he's been building his gathered body, his family, from the very beginning. All that God does, the greatest building project in the world is the building of God's church. Not a building, not a physical building, but it's his church. It's his family. And, um, and so I just want this to kind of set the tone as we move into this uh, to really think about um, this idea of what church is um, and what God is doing in this, in this time, uh, that the greatest thing that he's building, the greatest building project out there is the church itself. Um, and folks, this should realign pol politics in our minds and, and just how we are work, our vocation and everything. Um, I think we all can agree that the chasm between Sunday morning and Monday morning when we step back into work has been a massive chasm for a lot of us. It should never be that way. Is that God in calling his children, right, to be a part of his family is part of that process is opening up our eyes, opening up um, to see for eternal perspective of what God is doing and close this gap and see that God has called us when he calls us into salvation to relationship with us with him and into his family is that he immediately makes us salt and light in this world and he expects us to go out and now be the agents of his goodness and the primary aspect that he's most concerned about is the aspect where you spend most of your time in your work in your vocation wherever you are and uh, the amazing thing that happens is is that we become or we should become a more effective worker a more disciplined worker a more impactful worker a worker that brings more solution to problem Right, um, a, a person that is vibrant, full of light, that has an impact relationally with the people that we work with, in business with, or whatever the projects are that we work on. Uh, the tragedy, as we know, as we're going to read here, is that we, a lot of us, can get sidetracked and we spend 
money, hours, intense amount of time on certain projects in life. And at some point along the way, we wake up and realize I've spent all this time, all this effort in building this widget or building this empire, whatever it is, and realizes that, wow, that eternity is, is far from this. Is God in this thing? And um, what God desires is to, for these two things to come together, not a, being opposing each other. He desires these things to come together. He desires to come right into that place of work, right into that place of your gifting, your education, the things that you are uniquely contributing to society and to bring fresh eyes, to bring fresh revelation right into that scenario. Primarily, that's how God works. And, he, he, and in the midst of that, what he's building his church is, is that it's through you and your efforts, right, that bring a blessing to other people who are hungry, right, and will get them into the kingdom of God and open their eyes, right? Um, I think we all relate to that, right? Uh, we get passionate about things and somehow we feel like God is, is out here somewhere and that I have to somehow change who I am or change my passions or change the projects I really want to see happen or, or, or whatever it may be, my civil service or whatever it is, rather than realizing is God wants to bring his mission into that area. He wants to awaken your eyes and to bring power and insight and to have greater thinking, greater impact where you are at. And uh, God is building his church. Without that is, we know, we end up building the world. We end up spending our money and time building the world and things that have no eternal fruit, no everlasting fruit. And as we're going to read here, Jesus, when he returns, he's coming in the glory of his father with his angels. And he is coming and he will bring, uh, hold each of us an account of what I've done. There's to him, have I been a good, ma- a good steward with the blessings and gifts and talents and things that, or have I just been building an empire? Have I been just building the world here? And our hearts long for adventure. They long, obviously, for intimacy and favor, but they long to build something. We long, every one of us, to have an impact in some kind, some way. And to really understand how all that works holistically in our life, it takes the gospel, it takes God awakening us to become part of his larger plan around the world, which is building his church. And um, I think I mentioned this last week, but folks, this is part of what God is doing during this time, is reframing our thinking, right, to... uh, to, to not be fear-based and not to be, and, and part of this time is a weeding out among his church, among his, his children, a purifying of his church, or awakening of his church to realize that his, most, his greatest concern in the world is what's happening with his church and preparing using COVID and using fires and using everything else, earthquakes, go down the list of things. What? To do what? To hopefully wake people up. First, beginning with his church to tune his church in to his purpose and then hopefully to have others wake up so that their hearts are ready to start thinking about eternity and not just the little world, right, that they live in. Um, And you see throughout history, God uses nations. They rise, they fall. And he uses his nations. He uses wars and uses everything going on in the world. It's it's amazing. It is the, the politics and all the stuff we spend so much time getting wrapped up in, do you realize that those are secondary to the main show? Those things God is using and allowing to happen in everything so that his church would respond to become more healthy 
And I think one of the big things he's doing, folks, he's waking the church in America today to have this shift to kingdom thinking, eternal thinking, what God is doing, versus really very worldly thinking about being consumed about politics. Don't get me wrong. We need to be very involved. We need to be good citizens. We need to be involved. We need to work. We need to be salt and light, right, in those areas. But that's secondary to the main show of what God is doing right in his church and those are the questions as it says in scripture jesus says i'll build my church and it towards the end of the bible says he who has ears to hear to the letter of the seven churches of revelation what the spirit is saying to the churches not to america not to germany not to political party but what's the spirit saying to the church it begins there and that is what god is primarily focused on uh and, and working towards and so we need to encourage each other with that because <laughs> As we know, that fear can easily take over rather than faith. And, and if I just pour my efforts, detached from understanding the kingdom of God and how God works, right, into helping society, social justice, whatever it is, if it's detached from God's greater um, purposes, you know, I'm going to wake up very disillusioned. I'm going to miss the, the ball. I'm going to miss what God is doing in the midst of all that. And so I want to dive in this morning and uh, want to begin with, I have two big questions for us to think about this morning on this idea of, okay, Jesus' hope is a vibrant church, right, for the world. Well, how does that work? What does that mean for me and my understanding of church and my involvement, how I see church and how I see God working in the world and how I see my own calling and, and gifts and everything fit into this larger picture? The first question is this, could it be that the church as we know it is presenting the church as God wants it to be. Could it be that the church that we know, how church operates as we know, could it be that that's actually pre- preventing God, uh, to, to uh, preventing um, the church to be what God wants it to be? And uh, to just step back and say, Lord, what are you doing? What are you doing with your church? What do I need to wake up to and understand? And um, I'm not going to take the time this morning. I will this week uh, uh, talk a little bit more through um, these things we're doing every day called Daily Faith Builder, just breaking down some more of this, uh, just to, to talk about some of the other things that God is, is doing through His church. But I, I want to drill in this morning just um, on these first few verses and to really talk about what does Jesus mean by I will build my church? Um, and what is God doing to awaken and help us to understand what he means by his church today? So I'm going to pick up in verse 13 of chapter 16 of Matthew. The word of God. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do the people say that the son of man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood have not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whoever and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And then he strictly charged his disciples to not tell, to tell no one that he was the Christ. So um, let's dive in here a little bit on this. The context, Caesarea Philippi. 
is the most northern part um, of the Middle East that Jesus ever traveled by foot. This is, you know, the Tyre. He went up to Tyre for a little bit, and Tyre is in southern Lebanon, so it's just north of Jerusalem. But, but uh, Caesarea Philippi is further east, and it's basically at the base of Mount Hermon, very, uh, very pagan place. It's um, actually where uh, the, the background here is most likely Jesus was sitting. It's a famous ancient um, pagan temple. It's a huge cave that goes down into uh, to the earth that, um, that the pagans said and called it the gates of hell, actually. So most likely Jesus took his disciples. And the other piece we're going to look at this morning is discipleship. And he took them away to be alone. He took them away to be alone with him, to uh, not to take a break from active ministry and to just focus on them and to go deeper with them. And he began with, who do the people say I am? And then he drilled deeper to say, who do you say I am? And gang, I was just, we're going to tag this into discipleship as we read the rest of this chapter, but I just want to uh, throw this question out for all of us um, this morning is outside of a context of discipleship, outside of a context of a group of men and a group of women who are gathered together like Jesus and his disciples where um, we are encouraging each other, how can we better follow Jesus and and, um, make his word on our heart? Um, Outside of that, do you know that we... It's, it's very difficult for faith to genuinely grow. That's the context of radical transformation. The main transformation of life in, in, in the Christian life is through discipleship. It's the Great Commission. Go make disciples. And so the questions we should be asking in church today are, who are your disciples? Have you been discipled? Has somebody journeyed deeply and taken you with that small group time out, taken away and gotten to where you go deep? And you're challenged and I'm challenged with, what do I believe? What do I really believe? And then have to wrestle with the word of God in my life. And outside of that context of deep accountability and of deep encouragement and love, you know what? We don't see much transformation in our life. Do you realize sitting in church, and this is where the American church is at, people sit in church decade after decade with very little transformation, very little testimony of how their life has been radically changed. And that's never what Jesus called us to. It's never what he desired right for us. Now, here's something to think about. In the West, and any of our young folks that are in school, any of us that have gone through school, the understanding of what a test is in our Western culture and how we educate people, a test is you sit down and you take a test testing you on how much you know. Did you check the right box? Did you answer the question appropriately? That is not what a test is understood at in a Hebrew biblical culture. A test in Jesus' time was what was fleshed out in the midst of a disciple, uh, in other words, uh, disciples, learners following a disciple maker, a rabbi, a teacher, and the goal of the teacher was to test the pupils, test the disciples, that that, that they practice what they believe. Is are you living what you say you believe? You see the level, the deeper level there? In other words, what happens in a lot of church today is that we go to Bible studies and we go to even what we might call a discipleship group and we learn biblical stuff. Very important. We learn the facts. 
And then we were able to articulate, well, this is what I believe. This is what it is to follow, be a Christian. This is what the Bible says. Here's my theology. I go to seminary. I learn the Greek. I learn the Hebrew. I learn systematic theology. Here's what it says. But without a healthy discipleship, no one is actually challenging me on am I actually practicing what I say I believe. And you can go to church your entire life and never have a deep engagement where someone is actually, right, calling you to line your life up with what you say you believe. And this is the problem in the American church today. People who claim they believe in Jesus, but they're nowhere practicing what he says it is to follow him. And that is not going to be fixed in a larger gathering or a Sunday gathering. That is primarily fixed in understanding what discipleship is, right? And, and joining in into these times where, again, I'm gathered. It's not about me. It's not about a specific topic. But we're gathered around the Word of God. And we're gathered around the question of how can I learn to follow Jesus at all costs? As we're going to read right now, it says, if Jesus says, you're going to follow me, you need to deny yourself. Pick up your cross daily and follow me. How do I do that? How do I do that? And we can learn the facts of, oh, here's what that means by a sermon or, or a Bible study. But it's only in discipleship where we're, we're coming together as a small group of men or a small group of women. And there's, there's a leader of that group. And we're having to mutually encourage each other and say, what does that mean for you? How are you denying yourself? What does it look like for you to pick up your cross, your cross, and carry it into your work day? What does that look like for you? This is the big blaring problem in the church today is we don't understand that you can't have a vibrant, healthy church without a vibrant, healthy church discipleship so that hope would actually really abound. And because of that, you know what happens? Discipleship, actually, someone said, build the church and you might get disciples. Maybe you'll get healthy followers of Jesus. This is the American way. Build the building, build the crowd, and we're doing it. You know what Jesus' way is? As a crowd builds, he preaches the crowd down every time. Jesus, a crowd never impressed Jesus. Right? He actually preached it down. And he made sure to call the crowd. The, he wanted people to call out of the crowd into the core. And it was he wanted disciples. And so if you make disciples, you'll get a healthy church. If you build a church, you're not necessarily going to get right, healthy Christ followers. In the American church, the concept of what is God saying to us, he is making this loud and clear to the American church. And for us right here, we need a healthy disciple. We need to be truly obedient to what we understand discipleship to be and what the Great Commission means when it says go make disciples, right? And the context of what that really looks like because it will radically impact how we understand church and the importance of church and this great building project that God is doing around the world with every tongue, tribe, and, and nation. And uh, I just want to break down a couple of these things in, the passage, in what we just read here. Um, these amazing words, when Jesus says that uh, he commends Peter for his stepping out, this um, profession of faith, of, of, of calling for the first time who Jesus really is. And then he says, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock, um, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Well, what does that mean? 
And uh, this verse throughout church history has had huge attention to it, right? Uh, and it has caused great breaches in church fellowship and everything else. But there's, I just want to give us briefly this morning, there are three main interpretations of this. In other words, Jesus says, I'll, upon this, this rock, after Peter, you know, gives his profession, Jesus said, on this rock, the question is, what's the rock? What is Jesus talking about? Upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, right? There's three primary things in my what I'm going to uh, advocate is it's actually all three of these things working together, not one in isolation. Um, the first thing is, is he, he says, you're Peter. And P- Peter, Petros, means rock. And upon that, Peter, I'm going to build my church. And so there is an element that Peter is critical to the building of the church, but not like the Catholics have said where the Catholics have taken this verse and they say it's Peter, he's the first pope and, and Christianity is led by this authority passed down the pope. There's no historical evidence. Uh, there's no biblical evidence for that position whatsoever. But the truth behind that is, is that when God builds his church, he raises up leaders to lead well and godly. And Peter was the first, the first among equals, among the 12. And then you had James and John, the inner, inner three. And we see in the book of Ephesians chapter 4 that God, Jesus, gives gifts to the church. Apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists. He gives these gifted people to build his church. He gives healthy leaders, right, to his church to build up his church. And so that is an important part of this. The leadership aspect of this rock, upon this rock. Upon the rock of giftedness and leadership that God is going to impart, I will build my church. Uh, the other interpretation, the uh, part, piece of this is upon the faith itself. Upon Peter's faith, I'll build my church. We know that to be true. We know that the church, Romans 1, tells us that it's from faith to faith. Is that is it's just like Peter, is it's my faith. It's when people put their faith in the message and the gospel of Jesus and are saved, the church is built. And we are to lead people to that decision of faith, to present to them the glory of the gospel and who Jesus is and the freedom of grace in that, that they might put their faith. So the church is built upon faith. The faith that we put into Jesus and God. And then the third piece of it is Jesus himself. He's the cornerstone. He is the rock. And all you see in the Old Testament, right? God is seen as the rock, the fortress, my refuge. But if we just step back a few chapters in Matthew, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says this parable and he says, if you build your life on this rock, it will stand in the midst of the storm. But if you build your life on the sand, what's going to happen? The storm's going to blow and you're going to be washed away. And so Jesus is real clear here that when he's building his church, the gates of help is you got to get ready because not only are the storms of COVID and other things going to come, but the gates of hell, there is spiritual battle. The battle when the, for the church to grow, there will always be a battle before entering the blessing that God has. And um, I, I just, uh, those three things work together when it says, on this rock, on this rock of, of called out leadership and gifting, anointed gifting and people leading upon this rock of Jesus, the cornerstone. He is, it's his church. He's the leader. He's the head, right? Um, and upon faith, faith is a mechanism that people come into, right? The, the family of God. I will build my church. Um, I just want to take a little 
side note here and just talk about leadership, folks, because it's critical today. When we look among the landscape uh, that's happening today is we are, are, as a nation, we are getting what we're getting because we have taught this, this terrible idea of leadership for decades now. If you've been a part of any higher education, the idea of patriarchy, the idea of hierarchy has been seen as radically evil, and let's do away with all of that idea. The idea of leadership by consensus, this idea that, hey, we just all, everybody makes a decision together, that everybody has a word, that everybody has something to offer. Folks, let me tell you, through the beginning of time, if anything is done and done well and by God is he appoints his leaders to do it. Whether you're leading a corporation, whether you're leading a family, somebody has got to lead and be at the tip of the spear. This is how God has set it up. This is how God has done it from the beginning of time. And we are flirting with this idea today, right, that is causing huge. When you look among all of the political options today and you look at the leaders of our nation that are standing up, it is, I'm just going to be honest, it's very pathetic. Cross the board. Where are the leaders? Where are the men and women who are on fire? with character and leadership and vision, consistent, that people will follow, who are not, who are not willing to, to please. You cannot please everybody. I just want to say it loud and clear. You can't please everybody in life. If you live that way, you'll live under fear. And you know what? You'll never lead anything great, ever, ever. You cannot try to lead something if you're trying to please everybody. And you can't follow Jesus. And please everybody, because the scriptures say you're to please, I'm to please God first, not man. Is that my decision needs to be placed while I'm doing this because God, I'm going to please you first and foremost. As in the very beginning of Acts said, well, hey, the government's saying this, but you, and, and, in other words, you tell me what? Should I please you or should I please God? And folks, we need the church. When Jesus is building church throughout history, the church should be the place that models and sets up godly leadership. Good leadership. And that leadership should, should filter out into our homes and into the marketplace and into politics and civic duty and everything else. It should be the shining example of what healthy leadership looks like. So I, I don't have much more time to dig into that, but folks, this is such a big deal. The idea of hierarchy, the idea of patriarchy, um, these are part of who God is. I just want to say it. God in the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, is a hierarchy. They're all equal. Don't get me wrong. But remember, Jesus submits to the Father. The Father leads the way. Jesus carries out the mission. He was sent by the Father. And the Holy Spirit works and brings it all together through both. That's an eternal definition of who God is. And we have even theologians trying to break that down and say, oh, no, they're all, there's no one who's really leading the way or stepping. It's just like, what Bible are you reading? It's the way life works. It's the way God's put it into society. Now, can it be abused? Oh, it's been, it's been radically abused, right? We need to, to renew it, right? But when you understand in the church, right, is understand and honor different roles. Honor each other's gifting. Honor each other's and, and have a high call to what leadership really means. Because we're accountable, right, before God. And this is the role Peter plays. He was the first among you. He's clearly a leader. Somebody's got to lead. The buck's got to stop somewhere, right? It doesn't matter what you lead. The buck's got to stop somewhere. And um, 
we, we've, we've got to renew this, and it's got to happen in the church. And this comes back to discipleship. It's the greatest format for understanding our submission to God and understanding our responsibility before mankind and being willing to lead well and realize, I can't please everybody. And I'm not called to please everybody. I'm called to obey God and take what the circumstances, right, that come with that. And that's what should happen, right, in the, in the church. So uh, just a couple of other things here. It says, Paul, look at this. This is amazing, gang, what, what Jesus tells the church. He says, I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. What do you think that means? What does a key do? Yeah, I mean, it, it opens a door, doesn't it? It opens a door. Access. Peter, I'm going to give you, and, and by the way, and it goes on and it says that whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth is loosed in heaven. There's some spiritual authority in here that would blow your mind if you understand what is available to you as a child of God. And you say, well, that's just Peter. That's just the leader. No, that's why I have Matthew 18. I don't have time to go there. But in Matthew 18, it broadens the same principles to all of the disciples. Right? In the context of the church. Is that God has given. This is why I say Jesus' hope for the world is a vibrant church. Because the church is the, the way to the kingdom. The church is Jesus' avenue for getting the gospel out to the world and discipling people and followers and broadening the family of God. The church is the family of God. And he's given the keys to the kingdom. Access, which is the gospel itself, which is to be given and, and spoken of to lead people into the family of God, ultimately. And the binding and loosing, folks, it, it says, look, I'm going to build my church, but the gates of hell are not going to prevail. It's like, wait a minute, let's get that imagery right. The gates of hell, that means that the church is the, actually the one on advance pushing up against the very gates of hell. That means as a church, there should be a battle mentality taking the binding and loosing, the authority that we have in the Holy Spirit, and applying it to all the way to the gates of hell, all the way to the end of saving souls, right? And, bur and carrying burdens of people and redeeming and pulling people out of the fire, as Scripture says, is that we should be engaged and understand the radical authority we have through the Holy Spirit to build the church and rescue people out of darkness. And rescue situations and bondage and everything else out of darkness. The final thing, verse 20 says, Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Um, wow, it just seems like, wait a minute. We're supposed to be proclaiming, right? Two reasons here. One is Pentecost hadn't come yet. He says, wait here for the promise of the Father. Pentecost, folks, was not saving all of the disciples when the Holy Spirit fell down. Pentecost was about empowering the church to do what we're called to do. It's about an empowerment, the coming on, the filling of the Holy Spirit to do. They were all believers. They all knew it. He said, wait here until you are empowered, not that you're saved, not that you're made complete. And again, what God is doing, restoring his church, that you know what? We as Americans, we've tried to, we've tried to do church under our own power because of all of our, what we know about God. And we need to get to the place of realizing that just like in the Old Testament, Lord, I'm not going unless that cloud by day and that fire by night, unless your presence is with me, I'm not going to go. I'm not going to do any more ministry unless your presence is right here, God. I need your presence to go with me right in this. And I will wait for that. I will wait for that power. I will wait, wait for these promises that are for me, the power of the Spirit of God. I want the Spirit of God. Remember, over and over again, it's not by power, not by might, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. The American church, I believe with all my heart, 
right? No, um, if you just took out the normal day-to-day operations, there would be very... Le- what's left that only God's doing? The Spirit of God is doing. Where's the waiting and the praying and the, the worshiping God? You go with us. Let your power empower us to do this. I can't do this. And we all know what this is like. We all have issues we're dealing with with our flesh. That, man, this is tough. How do I, how do I break through bondage in my own life? There's only one way. It's by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's about waiting on God like they did in the upper room. God, you come, you break, you bring life, you bring it. It's about pursuing it with others in a discipleship, in a church context, right, of God, we need your presence. Where is the presence, where is the manifest presence of God in the church today in America? We've got all kinds of entertainment. We've got all kinds of, of great things that we herald and everything. All that's just fine. But where's the presence of God? The manifest presence of the living God among his people. The cloud by day, the fire by night that was right in the center of camp. What we see in the book of Acts, restored again. The awe. How was the church defined? Is that when they left church, it wasn't, oh man, wasn't that worship great? Man, wasn't that sermon great? What about God? What about God? Did anybody meet God? Did anybody have God speak to them in the midst of, of the service? Was God there? Is he there? Is he manifest? Um, Restoring a healthy worship. Right now in America, we're either singing songs or we're worshiping worship itself. Wasn't that worship great? Man, the bells, lights, and it made me feel goosebumps. Man, that was, wow, that was like a rock concert. And folks, I love all that to, to the best, but I'm telling you right now, God is, he's serious about not having his church being in entertainment. It's not about entertainment. It's about worshiping the living God and trusting and waiting on his manifest presence to be among God's people in a visible, manifest way, right? That's the church. And that's why he's restoring communion back at the center when his people gather together. The very body and blood of Christ, what he's done for us is to restore that in a context where we do justice to communion. It's not just some little ritual. It's why it's not coming back here in our church on Sunday morning. It's going to be in our microchurches. It's going to be when we gather together in smaller groups as we're there, we take it seriously what the scripture says about what it means to take communion with each other. Jesus is at the center of this thing, right? To hold each other true to what that's all right about. So let's, uh, let me just jump ahead here. Um, I'm, I'm going to, these are, I've mentioned some of these. I'm going to give these out this week. These are all just, I have 10 things just been praying. Everybody asks, what is God doing right now? And um, I'll, I'll put these out um, this week during the Daily Faith Builder. We'll break those down a little bit more. But I want to end with this next question. If we're going to have a healthy church, and maybe our concept of church is actually preventing God's desire of what church should be to happen, is the next answer to that is, could it be that our discipleship, as we know it, is preventing discipleship that Jesus wants? Right? Could, it, could it be that man, our understanding of discipleship is, is not what Jesus intended A vibrant church needs a vibrant discipleship if hope is going to abound. God is restoring healthy discipleship to his church. Um, It's desperately needed. And so this, let me read the rest of this chapter four. It says, from the time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, chief priests, scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. This is the first time Jesus is telling them, because in their minds still, their understanding of the Messiah was a political ruler who's going to come in and deliver them from Rome and all the oppression. 
And, and now he's telling them, wait, uh, the Messiah's coming to die? To sacrifice? Um, and so of course, you see, here you have Peter again. He's willing to step out there. And this time he stepped in it, right? He, uh, um, and he says in verse 22 that Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. Well, listen to this. And remember what we just read. I will build my church in the what? The gates of hell will not prevail. As soon as Jesus started building his church, spiritual warfare, it got the enemy's attention. And who is the person that the enemy first started screwing with? It was the leader. It's Peter. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Wow. I can guarantee you Peter never forgot those words. Right on the tail end of Jesus celebrating his response of faith, of who he was. And then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Remember what I said? Jesus just said, I'm going to build my church. And Jesus quickly moves into a discussion on discipleship. For my church to be built, there must be disciples being built. And if you're going to be a disciple or follower of me, this is what it's got to look like. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what they've done. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. And that last verse is pertaining to the next chapter we don't have time to get into, the transfiguration where actually Jesus was glorified and his inner circle actually got to see the kingdom of God, the presence and glory on Jesus himself. So a couple comments on this um, passage, so much in here, is this idea of discipleship. So here's what I, I, I've kind of come to believe in, in, as I look at this and try to ask the Lord is, uh, I want to make an analogy between modern dating and discipleship in the church. Modern dating today has, has, has kind of drifted away into this idea of a date today. You ask anybody, I love this, especially with the young people. Hey, what, define it. What's a date? What's a date? And you'll get everything all over them. Even some people, oh, we don't use that word anymore. And, and roughly where it's at now is that two people just hang out. It's undefined. It doesn't know who's paying, who's not paying. It's very confusing. I'm not sure how it works. Again, without leadership and initiation, things get confusing and they fall apart. Okay? Now, that idea has drifted into the church. And when we talk about discipleship today, we have this big category that discipleship is just any learning, any Bible study, anything I go to. Um, and it's just not the case. Is that it's intentional time. Now, a date, just to define it for everybody... <laughs> A date is this simple. It's intentional time with a person of the opposite sex. Intentional time. Right? A guy and a girl will not meant to be hanging out together, right, alone with nobody without something having to... need some clarity here. What's going on here? Right? The idea of this, you know, just this, hey, this friendship thing, is, that's not how God created it. It just doesn't happen. Sooner or later, there's going to be confusion here, right, of, okay, 
Is this going anywhere? I have some feelings. Do you have any? I don't know. You know, are we just hanging out? What's going on? Right? And um, a day is just intentional time. And it takes leadership. It takes somebody to say and have a conversation, hey, let's define what's happening here. This is intentional time with an intentional goal. And my goal is either to pursue you in this date, right, to, to spend more time with you. What do you think about that? Or do you, do you want to just keep it in the uh, friend zone, right? Friend zone. Um, it's a whole other discussion. Um, and, and that's kind. I mean, isn't, don't you like clarity? I mean, there's nothing better than clarity in any relationship. It's just like it's fuzzy if, if we're not clear. And folks, the same thing goes even more so in discipleship in the church today. It's like, oh, yeah, I get discipleship because I had the coffee with this person. I'm talking spiritually with this person. I'm doing this person. No, 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 no. Scripture is very clear. Jesus had a very clear plan. He chose, spent time in prayer, chose 12 men to spend time with those men. He had a clear intentional training process for these men. And he had a clear goal in the end that they in turn would be fishers of men. And they in turn would be making disciples. And as the Great Commission says, they in turn would go and teach what I've taught you to others. Baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is we need a fresh understanding of what it is to be a disciple and to carry out the Great Commission. It's intentional time together, a group of men, a group of women, to dive into the Word of God with a clear course that we're going to draw near to Jesus and we're going to learn to follow Him at all costs, right? And, and the end result of this is that each of us is going to go out and do the same with others and multiply disciples. And when that happens, you know what? You have a very vibrant, healthy church. When it gets foggy, what you have is a bunch of people sitting in church and their theology, their understanding of God is all over the map, right? All over the map. Or you have a whole bunch of programs in the church and you learn a whole bunch of factual knowledge about God and you can spew all kinds of theology, but there's no intimate knowledge of the working of the Holy Spirit and what God is actually doing, right? We need a restoration of this. And boy, he says some, some pretty powerful things. Is part of discipleship is learning how to obey this. Man, what does it mean to deny myself? Man, what does it mean that if I gain the whole world, but I might lose my soul? In other words, that separation of working on my projects. This is where I want to live. This is the job I want to do. This is the projects and goals I want to accomplish. That will end you in a frustrated, unfulfilled life. Unless all those things are put before the feet of Jesus and let him take it to a whole nother level. Whole nother level, right? A massive level of, of blessing right, in, our, in our life. And um, <clears throat> we're the most affluent people to ever walk on the face of the earth. Right now. Young people, if you're in here, you're living in the time, the most affluent time. And, and we live in one percenter land where we sit right now. We are among the top, the richest people, not just that live on the planet Earth now, but the richest people who've ever lived in the history of the world. So there's a huge responsibility to that. And here's the problem, that the, why we need discipleship, why we need to be taken away to the Caesarea Philippi's and be pointed. We need someone to look at us and go, Steve, are you attached to the world? How are you doing? Steve, how are you becoming detached from the world? Steve, what are you doing with your affluence? What's going on in your life? How are you attached? Is the world and your time, are you consumed with the things of the world? Or is your kingdom idea, are you becoming less and less 
attached. Somebody's brought the great term up, um, affluence without attachment. And folks, let me tell you, there's only one. You can't learn it. You can't teach it. You can't. There's only a discipleship context at a deeper level of, of engaging each other's souls. It's the only way we'll get there. It's the only way that I'll really have to wrestle with how attached I am to this world and to the things I like and my comforts and everything else. Am I willing to lay those before Christ until someone's in my life and knows how I spend my money, how I spend my time? Do people see the way I live that, man, Steve, he's detached from the world. He's got his eyes on God. He's going. Do they see that? And until I, I, I can't wrestle with that until, guess what? I'm sitting down with men who know me intimately and who actually drill that question into me and hold me accountable to that. So Christ is formed in me, right? Final thing, and then we're going to have some prayer time and hear from you guys. Um, boy, for the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. <clears throat> Sobering. Stewardship. Accountability. Personal responsibility. Again, don't want to get off, but what's happened in our culture, we don't have any concept of personal responsibility. It's gone. It is the church, healthy discipleship, healthy engagement, that we hold each other accountable to be personally responsible and stewards of what God has given us. That's honestly what made America great. The Judeo-Christian work ethic, by the way, is built upon personal responsibility, is that I don't work for a handout, is I work. And by the way, folks, do you know what the Bible says in First Thessalonians? If you don't work, you don't eat. So this idea of social justice that is a handout, I'm just going to be very blunt with you. It's a whole other issue. It's not a biblical concept. It's not a biblical concept. Jesus never was about just a handout without responsibility. Never. It says it about as clear as it can be. That's a context of discipleship. Teaching someone how to live and truly be prosperous right in their life. And again, who's talking about that in all this craze that's going on there? Who is bringing up biblical truth and speaking in light of what culture might say? No, I'm going to please God. Because what we just read is, I can't stand before Jesus one day, folks, and nor can you. And I can't stand before him and say, well, God, listen, I'm sorry I didn't really do well with that. Because, but, but this happened to me. I grew up in this family. Or I grew up over here. Hey, I, I didn't grow up with privilege. So, God, I didn't get this. Do you realize no one, I'm going to be as clear as I can, no one can stand before God and blame anybody else for my state. That's not how it works. I cannot blame anybody. No matter how harsh it was that I, I whatever I happened to me, I can't blame, stand before God and say, well, Lord, but you know that happened to me, so uh, I, I'm not responsible for that or for what I did. Does that make sense, gang? This, that, that's like, if I said, if somebody hears that, Facebook might wipe me out here or something. I don't, you know? That's biblical truth. And it has to be fleshed out in discipleship. It has to be handled that way. But here's the deal, gang, Derek, come on up. I'm going to um, just end with this, this idea of eternity. How are, how are we thinking? And again, the, I just read to you the truth. Jesus is coming back and I'm going to stand before him. I'm going to give an account every person is before my creator. And it's not like God grades on the curve. He doesn't. But the amazing gospel is that, you know, I can stand before him blameless if I learn to receive by fruit what he's done for me. Wow. That's what we have to share and understand. How do I live under that grace? Because I need that grace because I'm stumbling over here. But I have to live under a sober reality that I'm living for eternity. 
Now, when we're saved, and what happens in a church should be that we are constantly encouraging each other to think like eternity. I need to think in pers- with an eternal perspective. Everything I do, it should change how I work. It should change how I plan things. It should change everything about what I invest in. Is What eternal impact is this going to have? What kind of impact is this decision of mine going to have right eternally um, down the line? Someone, uh, I met with a good friend of mine. He showed me this amazing research, this chart recently. And the chart, actually, it's a, it's a business chart. And it, it lists out how people think Then next to it, it listed out their salary range. This is roughly the kind of salary, the compensation, this kind of thinker is going to receive. This is across the board proven. If I'm just living, as the old song says, some of us old folks know, um, working for the weekend. Um, I think I was a lover boy, wasn't it? Is that right? Lover, huh? How about that? Anybody on that? Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. Um, Working for the weekend. I can hear it in my head. High school. Wow. Everybody's working for the weekend. So, yeah, I'm trying. I'm off track. Sorry. Um, but folks, if I'm living, if I'm working for the weekend, if I'm working for a paycheck, guess what my compensation is? It's pretty minimal. Pretty minimal. And folks, let me tell you something. That's taught. How you grew up, who's teaching you, who's your, who you're hanging around. The people that are able to live in this town, they're way down the chart. They're thinking five, they learn to think five, 10, 20 years down the line. It's the only way you can lead a healthy business. It's the only way you can lead, right, a, a family in a healthy way or anything else is I got to think right down the line, right? I have to be willing to forfeit something. And I have to be willing to work for something hard right now knowing it's going to pay off right down the line. If I'm just working for a paycheck, guess what? I'm stuck right there. And you know what's so beautiful about the church is people who've grown up in that kind of um, poverty mentality is when they get discipled, guess what? They're changed. The thinking starts opening. I've seen it. It's so exciting to see is that their thinking starts opening up. And guess what? They start moving, having greater impact and blessing in their life. Now, let me just rock your world. Is It says the bottom category of this is, is uh, I think it was 10 to 20 year thinking. I can't remember you know, the thinking that was there. The compensation was millions. But folks, here's the awesome thing. Let's go below. If your thinking is eternal thinking, the compensation is eternal and it's limitless. Limitless of what God wants to do for you and through you. It's limitless. It's just those by faith will take it and will go for it. Right? And so I tell everybody, the first service of my son's here, we're getting ready to take him to Baylor next Next week is, is, I'm like, Jonathan, college is a privilege. Don't waste it. And realize that this time is a time to train yourself for greater impact. And if you combine that privilege with eternal thinking and discipleship and those two things together, God is going to bless your life and he's going to multiply your life for his kingdom in a massive way. That's for you. That's for you. So any of our young people here, train, a season of training, a season of of, of preparing myself, forfeiting the the immediate gratification for something, a payoff down the line, and add to that eternal thinking. That's what we want to do. And discipleship's the context of changing the way I think. Am I thinking eternally on this thing? Folks, in this COVID thing, you see it. It's right down the line. People are either operating and drip by fear or believe, and this is, I'm talking about in the church, or they're moving in faith. We've got to change how we think. 
if I'm scared about COVID, you know what? I, I just want to say, if you're scared about COVID, boy, you just wait till what's coming. I don't mean to be gloom or doom. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. This is the birth pains. This is nothing. This is, this is seal training day one. Folks, we got to get today, whatever it is, they weed them out in however many days it is. And look what's happening to the church now. This is day one, man. Faith, not fear. God has great things for his people, right? Folks, Jesus' hope for this world is a vibrant church. And you are an intimate part of that vibrancy, right? And so just in our closing time here, let me just pray. And then, um, as I said, a couple of you at least, come up and let's just pray for rain, right? Ask our Father to pour it out. And if the Lord's put anything else on your heart, this morning, man, just come encourage us. This is the body where to encourage each other, right, across the board. So, Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your rich blessings, Lord. Um, man, um, all through, there's no limit. In the, none of the scriptures limit what we can ask for from you, Father. Nothing. Increase our faith during this time, Lord. Make us true disciples, Lord. Encourage us. Bring your vibrancy back to your church, Lord. Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message. To hear other messages or learn more about Crossroads Church, visit our website at ccaspen.com.